and we're going to kind of brush against that theme tonight as we go to Mark chapter number 9. Mark chapter 9 and verse number 20. I want to preach on the subject, Help Thou Mine Unbelief. Help Thou Mine Unbelief. Mark chapter 9 and verse number 20. Jesus has been requested to help a father with his child who is devil-possessed. And the father is at wit's end, and he's begging for help. It says in verse 20, And they brought him unto him, and when he saw him, the boy, straightway the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming. And he asked his father, How long ago is it since this came unto him? And he said, Of a child. And oft times it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. And that is the experience of many a child of God. I believe, but Lord, sometimes it's mixed with unbelief. And it hurts. It causes me doubts. And it causes me to tremble in my service as I try to follow you. Lord, I believe, but well, I have some unbeliefs that I need help with. Let's pray together and see if God can help us like that tonight. Father, I pray that you'd bless us as we come together around your precious word. Lord, we know that if there's anything in this world that can help us, it's your word. And we pray that you'd make it plain and clear to us tonight. Lord, comfort hearts that may be ravaged with this enemy called doubt. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to come closer to you in faith in belief, and Lord, just give us peace and rest as we place our trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This sermon is about a topic we rarely discuss in church or even with those who are close to us. This is a sermon about doubt, and as such, it's an unfamiliar topic to many because it's one of those kind of taboo things where we don't want to talk about it because why? Well, it might make us look weak. It might make us vulnerable because after all, you don't want to be a hypocrite and the devil puts in our heart to think that if we admit that we have doubts, that people will surely think we are hypocrites. Maybe we're not even a true believer. The issue of doubt. It's an important Issue. In fact, there's a lot of Bible books that not only brush against it, but some seem to have that as a major theme. Like many of the Psalms, David and other writers of the Psalms seem to question God and say, Why? Why is this happening? Lord, can you help me? Can you do something? Or am I out here on my own? Does anybody care? The book of Job. Job tried to do everything right and 
he tried to live for God. He loved God, and, and yet everything was taken from him. And he's saying, God, why? Uh, can you fill me in on what's happening here? I thought I was doing good. And yet now my heart is filled with doubts. Do you love me? Do you care? Do you, do you understand I'm hurting, Lord? And the book of Lamentations, even the one we're going through on Sunday mornings, Ecclesiastes, lots of doubts, questions. I wonder. I wonder, does God really see me as an individual? And does he know about my doubts? And it seems like I've even got good reason to doubt. And does he even care about that? The book of Habakkuk. A preacher was asked in a question and answer session uh, on a blog if, uh, if he ever doubted. And his answer was surprising to many and even offended a few because he said he did doubt. It's true that most Christians, including the ones in this room, have doubts. I've preached on this. I try to preach on this particular subject, maybe from different texts, but I've tried to preach on it over the years from time to time because I found out that, that we're a lot alike. <laughs> and doubts, although they may not show outwardly, they certainly appear in here and we know. And so oftentimes I have asked our congregation, for the benefit of others sitting around if you've ever had doubts. So they know that they're not in this struggle alone. I think I'll do it now. If you don't mind, you don't have to, but have you ever had doubts? Now look around you. Keep your hands up just for a minute. Look around you, and do you see all those hands? You are not the only one. And that just tells us that it's a big problem that needs to be addressed, and I'm not going to attempt to try to give anybody a false assurance if only you and the Lord can work it out between yourselves to know if you're saved or not. But I can give you some scripture references and maybe some ideas that might help, some suggestions. I'm not trying to give anybody... I don't want to ever preach anybody into heaven. I don't, I don't want to do that at a funeral, you know. And sometimes a, a preacher at a funeral just makes the guy, even if he was devil himself, they try to make the guy in the casket to be a saint. Well, it's not always so. We can, tell, we can tell the truth without telling every truth we know. And I don't want people to have a false assurance, but I don't want people who are saved to live in misery and turmoil and doubt. Doubts are more numerous than you might think just by the show of the hands, and you can see it. I've asked it in other congregations as well, and the result is usually pretty close to what it was just now a few minutes ago. Hands everywhere. People doubt. And it's not just doubts about salvation, but doubts about many things that muddy the waters of our peaceful existence as followers of Christ. And doubt itself... I don't think it's always wrong and sinful because the, the people I've known who've talked about it and in my own experience 
the people weren't trying to hoodwink God or trying to hoodwink anybody around them. When they had a real doubt problem, they were being honest about it. They were crying out for help. I, I believe, but Lord, help my unbelief. I, I know part of it, but I don't know all of it. And I've got a little bit of it, but I need more. And I need peace in my heart. Lord, help me out. Or if they're asking a scriptural counselor, they're trying to say, I need help. And the last thing they need to have is somebody put a boot on their neck and push them down to the ground. It's not sin every time. Only willful rejection to believe is sin. But when somebody is truly wondering if they've got everything right, got all their ducks in a row, do they understand it? Did they do everything right? Those are honest questions and maybe we can find some scriptural answers. I think there's three categories generally that, that doubts fall into. Number one is intellectual doubts. And, and most often this comes from unbelievers. They have doubts. Did, is, is the Bible true? Is there really a God? Is, did Jesus, was Jesus really the Son of God? Did he really die on the cross? Did he rise from the dead for sure? And can people really be saved and know they're saved? And so there's intellectual doubts. They're trying to figure it all out in their mind. And then there's spiritual doubts. They tend to be the doubts of those inside the church house. And they usually ask questions like, am I really a Christian? I've got to know. Did I really do this thing right? Did I go about it the right way? Why is it so hard for me to pray? And if I doubt, does that mean I'm lost? And I'm going through a lot of turmoil and misery. And why is it taking me so long? Why is it taking me so long to find relief? Why does it just keep going on and on and on? Some people have dealt with it over and over and over again. And they finally say, well, maybe I'm just hopelessly lost. Or I wouldn't just keep on doubting. And third, there's... Circumstantial doubts, these are the whys of life. Some are kind of like we, uh, we questioned uh, Solomon about in our scripture this morning. You know, they, there's people who just say, well, why did this happen? Why, why did uh, my wife leave me? Why did my child die? Why did I go broke? And, and why did God allow all those people to be killed in that tornado? And why this and why that? And it's the whys of life. These are questions we meet at the intersection of biblical faith and that of doubt. Well, it's because we live in a fallen world. Some of the toughest doubts of all, we tend to try to sweep them under the rug and hope they'll go away. And you that have doubted, you know better, don't you? People begin to have their doubts. Their circumstantial doubts become spiritual doubts and their spiritual doubts become those intellectual doubts and then the next thing you know, they just give up on church and they walk out and don't come back because they figure there's not going to be any help. Well, that's why we preach sermons like this because people need help. Let's talk about doubt a little bit more in detail. First of all, the nature of doubt. The nature of doubt. As we approach 
this topic, there's several things we need to understand. Many people think doubt is the opposite of faith. Oh, that's not exactly true. As I said a few minutes ago, the opposite of faith is willingly rejecting to believe. When someone sees the truth, like the Pharisees, when Jesus presented the truth that He was their Messiah, He would be the King that would lead them into righteousness. And they said, no, we'll not have you. You were born in a stable. We, we don't believe you. We believe that God will send a Messiah, but it's not you. And they rejected Him willingly. And finally, they, they committed the unpardonable sin by ascribing to Him the... Uh, the works of the devil. But just because you doubt, that doesn't mean God won't forgive you for doubting Him or that He'll push you away. Unbelief is not the opposite of faith. Many people think doubt is unforgivable. You've doubted and so God can't or won't forgive you. Well, that's not so either. Both Job and David repeatedly questioned God. They had their doubts and yet God never pushed them away but invited them to come to Him. God is big enough to handle your questions and your doubts. You're not going to offend God by coming to Him and saying, Lord, this is how I feel. Whether it's right or wrong, I don't know. Whether I'm saved or not, I don't know. But Lord, I need to know the truth. You're not going to make God mad. He wants you to know the truth. Many people think struggling with God means a, a, a lack of faith, but that's not exactly true either. People responding to another blog question on doubt. A pastor said this, quote, As I write this, it's Sunday morning, 11.30 a.m. I'm supposed to be in church preaching. I'm not there today. Yes, sometimes it's hard to keep believing. Someone else wrote these words in response to what he said. He said, frankly... It's a relief to me to read these entries. Sometimes I think, there's a woman writing, it says, sometimes I think we, my husband and me, are the only ones who are struggling this way. And they're just glad to see somebody bringing it out and open and talking about it. Another pastor said, I know a man who's 80 years old, and he said he's never had a doubt, never had a struggle, with anything like that. Never found it hard to believe. And then the pastor said, now that man, as, as odd as that sounds, he said, I know the man, and I don't, I'm not going to doubt that he's telling the truth. But he said, what that shows us is that we're not all wired exactly alike. alike. And so what your experience is, and how you doubt and how you believe, may not be like he doubts and he believes. And we're all made a little bit differently. And so just, you don't have to copy somebody else's experience. I've heard people, I've heard preachers say, man, if you didn't come down to the altar when you come forth to get saved, if you weren't weeping, uh, then you didn't get saved. Or if you didn't promise God you were going to give up every known sin, then you didn't get saved. And they make all these wherefores and therefores and rules about how you can or can't be saved. We're all a little bit different. Now, we all have to be saved the same way by trusting Christ. But how you come about it may be different. Some, you know what I believe? I know we live in a, in a Church of Christ town that teaches you've got to get in the baptistry to get saved. And I don't believe you have to get in the baptistry to get saved. And baptism does not save you. 
But you know what you could do? If you really were an unbeliever who were wanting to get saved, you could crawl in the baptistry and stand in the water and in that water have the preacher duck you under and while you're under the water you could say, Lord, I trust you as my Savior. And you'd really get saved there. You didn't have to be in the water, but it doesn't mean you can't be in the water. You could get saved sitting on a stump out in the woods somewhere. You could get saved sitting in your truck seat on a work day during lunch break and ask the Lord to save you and mean it and He'd save you. You can be saved wherever, whenever, that God is willing to accept you and he's willing to accept you if you're willing to accept him. Now, some people struggle greatly or repeatedly and others seem to have no trouble in believing at all. So you've got both ends of the spectrum. Some say, man, I just, I just don't doubt anything. I just believe God and I just trust him. don't have my doubts. Others say, man, I've struggled with it for quite a while. And it comes back to haunt me every once in a while. Since there's those two extremes, as usual, most of us, you and I, would probably fall somewhere in the middle of that. Not that we never have a doubt or that we doubt all the time, but somewhere closer to the center, we do have our doubts. And we just need to be able to talk about it openly and air things out. And when Christians do struggle with doubt, oftentimes they feel guilty about it. And because of the guilt, it keeps them from asking questions, seeking help, and so it makes things worse. Let's look at a particular example. And we mentioned him this morning in the morning's message, John the Baptist. But I want to talk about him just a little bit more tonight. John the Baptist gave his life to serve the Lord, ended up in prison, He's there in prison, not knowing for sure whether he's going to be executed or spend his life in prison. Most likely he thought he'd be executed. But he sent his disciples to talk to Jesus and find out if he was really the Messiah. It's in Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 through 11. And the disciples get there and ask Jesus. I said, John wants to know, are you really the one? John's got his doubts. Now here, here, here's where we're going with this. We, we don't, we're not going to try to plow the same ground that we plowed this morning, but John had his doubts. So what did Jesus do? He gave him a rather obscure message. He said, the faith, the, the blind get their sight and the deaf get their hearing and, and the gospel preached to the poor and so forth. And so he gives that message. And then as John's disciples are walking away, they're going out of sight, headed over the hill, Jesus turns to his disciples and he said, man, let me tell you something. If you think John's a wimp, let me tell you something. There's not been a greater man born among, uh, of women uh, than John. John is a man. John is a believer. And John has got my confidence. You see, John may have had his doubts, but Jesus didn't have his <laughs> And that's what you need to understand. You, just because you have doubts, that doesn't mean that God's doubting whether you got saved or not or whether you're really a believer or not. He knows if you really got saved. And I want you to notice something else about that story. John really knew who Jesus was because early on in his testimony he said, as he saw Jesus walking, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. John knew. 
And then in another place he said, I have seen and testify that this is the Son of God. John knew, but he got thrown in a prison. I mean, your mind will start playing tricks on you when you get in a place where the circumstances are just right. John's in a rat-infested, dirty, nasty, muddy, stinky prison, expecting that he might die. And boy, that will bring on some doubts. We don't want to be too quick to put John down because he had some doubts. Because Jesus said, boys, that's a great man, John the Baptist. And he didn't put him down. He didn't scold him. Although Jesus never gave him a precise answer, he didn't tell the disciples of John, go back and tell him, yes, I'm the Messiah. He didn't say that. That question was left rather unanswered. But he gave him enough meat that he could figure it out if he had time and circumstances. He doesn't rebuke John. And what I'm trying to say is, if if Jesus said John the Baptist is one of the greatest men of all and he didn't put John down and rebuke him for doubting, if he didn't do that to John, why do you think he would do it to you? He feels what you feel. That's why Jesus lived in a human body for 33 years on this earth. He has felt the things that you feel he had the same physical pain, temptations, and, and discomforts and longings that you do. And it's because he could identify with the people he was going to save. He knows what you go through. Then notice that John's still in prison. John's still wrestling with his doubts. John's still living with uncertainty. John is still unsure about Jesus, but he hasn't heard Jesus tell him you're a jerk or you're lost. I grow a little weary of even some of the independent Baptist brethren who make up rules to tell other people that they're lost. I know, a, I know one preacher who... Uh, accused another pastor up in Illinois. A pastor had a certain other pastor in to preach for him. And this other pastor on the other side of the country said, well, that man that preached for him is lost as a goose. And the pastor's lost too, or he wouldn't have had him to preach for him. And the whole congregation's lost, or they wouldn't put up with that pastor. And so they just categorically condemn everybody in the whole church, pastor and his friend too. <laughs> you know, we can't tell who's saved and who's lost. I can't see anybody's heart. Only God can do that. I guess we ought to put up a sign over our church house door. Doubters, welcome. <laughs> Doubters, welcome. Come on in. Maybe you'll get some help. If you have doubts, come on inside. If you have questions, come on inside. If you're unsure about some things, come on inside. If you're a skeptic, come on inside. Even if you're an atheist, come on in. <laughs> we'll try to help you out. Frederick Buchner expresses it this way, doubts are the ants in the pants of faith. <laughs> in other words, it gets you moving. See, some people, some people are just kind of relaxed in their, in their Christianity and their walk with the Lord, and along come those doubts, 
And man, it becomes ants in your pants and you get that doubt problem solved and you're going to be up and moving. You're going to maybe be growing in your faith more than you were before because you had those doubts and you know what it was like to struggle. And now God's giving you peace and now you know things are going in the right direction and you know God loves you and you know God saved you. And so because of that, you began to grow more in the faith than you did before. Well, let me give you seven ways to move from doubt to faith. Those are just suggestions, but you might want to jot them down. And remember that it's, if, if, if you doubt, <clears throat> that doesn't necessarily mean that you're in sin for doubting. Here's seven simple suggestions. Number one, admit your doubts and ask for help. That's what the father did in Mark chapter 9 that we read. That father had some doubts, but he's he just up front about it. He said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. He didn't try to hide it. He said, I need help. And that's what we can do. Just the same as that father went before Jesus to get some help, you and I can go to Jesus for some help. Or we can ask somebody else that walks closely to the Lord and knows the Scripture. Now don't go to some old mossback Christian that says he's found new ways to worship. It doesn't include church. <laughs> Make sure you go to somebody that's living for God and respects and has reverence for the things of God. It's kind of what in a way, what Doubting Thomas did. Doubting Thomas, he was one of the Lord's disciples. But boy, after the crucifixion, he said, no, this is not working out the way I thought. <laughs> and when the disciples were gathered together and Jesus came into their midst, uh, Thomas said, I, I'm not believing unless I see the evidence. I got to see some nail prints. I got to see some, a wound in the side. And Jesus showed him. Oh, man. He said, my Lord and my God. He removed his doubts. And God can remove your doubts as well. Number two, recognize that faith is a choice, not a feeling. Some people want a warm and fuzzy feeling to prove that they're saved. That's not how God saves anybody. He doesn't let you know that you're saved because you have this warm and fuzzy feeling. I was in a church service one time and we were standing up to sing and when the song was over, everybody sat down and my tie draped across the pew in front of me and the man in front of me sat on my tie. When I was trying to get loose, I had a feeling. <laughs> Didn't have anything to do with getting saved or proving that I was saved. I'm just saying, you might have feelings. I'm not against emotions. And I'm not, uh, as long as it's within reason, now you can become uh, dependent upon emotions. You can be become dependent upon your feelings and elevate them above what the scripture is. We, we live according to his book, not by the way we feel. And just because you don't feel saved doesn't mean you're not saved. We walk by faith. And we go by the principles of the word of God. And faith is a choice. You choose to believe. It's just like getting married. When you decide to get married, you're making a choice. And when you stand before the one doing the wedding, and he says, repeat after me, and uh, it comes your turn to say, I do, you're making a choice. You're choosing that person to be your mate. I do. And just like that, when you get saved, it's a choice. 
and having faith after you get saved is a choice. Now you can determine in your own heart that I'm just, I'm just going to keep on doubting, but I don't know why anybody would want to, do you? But if we make a choice and we say, Lord, I'm placing everything on you. I believe you, not my feelings. It's a choice. The Apostle Paul said, I know whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded he, that he is able to keep that which I committed unto him against that day. <laughs> he said, I'm persuaded that he is able to keep. And Jude, it says, now unto him who is able to keep you from falling. And so this thing of doubt is usually not a problem of doubting the doctrine of eternal security, but just so you know, Jesus said, if you come to me, I will in no wise cast you out. Did you come to him one time? He's not throwing you away. He kept you. Number three, don't be afraid to borrow some faith. If you're having doubts, get around somebody that's living for God, that's serving God, that, that believes this book and believes it from cover to cover. Somebody who practices their faith. Get around them. Somebody who really demonstrates their faith. Get around them. Get close to them. Maybe some of it will rub off. Number four, act on your faith, not your doubts. Act on your faith, not your doubts. Somebody said, don't undo and doubt what you started doing in faith. Act on your faith, not your doubts. That's what Noah did when he built the ark. God said, it's going to come a big rain, Noah. I need you to build an ark. Do you suppose Noah thought, hmm, what's rain anyway? And why do we need an ark? Do you suppose Noah ever had any doubts or do you think he was perfect? <laughs> Noah said, well, I'll build the ark. I'm not sure what all this is about, but I'll build the ark. You're in charge, Lord. That's what Abraham did when he left Ur of the Chaldees. God came to Abraham when he lived in a pagan country and said, you and Sarah, get out of here and go to a land where I'll show you. You suppose Abraham said, well, where, Lord? That's probably why God said, when you get there, I'll tell you. <laughs> That's called faith and acting on your faith and not your doubts. Abraham acted on his faith. He could have said, well, this doesn't make sense to me, Lord. Give me a map. Give me an outline of what I'm supposed to accomplish on the way and when I get there and how long am I supposed to stop? No, he didn't. Do it. He just acted on his faith, not his doubts. That's what Moses did when he marched through the Red Sea on dry ground. When he's standing there and God says, lift up your staff, Moses. I'm going to open up the Red Sea. And then step in there. What? Water walled up on both sides. Fish staring out the walls of the water looking at you. And you're supposed to walk between those things? I wonder if Moses might have had a doubt or two. Yet God said, do it. And Moses did. Act on your faith and not on your doubts. Whatever God has told you to do in the scripture, then you do it and you don't doubt that he can accomplish what he can do. You might doubt your own feelings about it, but you go ahead and obey him and just do it. Act on your faith and not on your doubts. That's what David did when he faced Goliath. Little David, he's looking up at this guy as tall as this ceiling and 
Now, I know he was brave. I know he was courageous. And he said, this battle is the Lord's, not mine. I understand all that. But as he looked up there and fell under the shadow of that giant, I wonder if he might have had just a little tremor or two go through his body. and thought, I wonder if God's really going to pull this off or not. But he acted on his faith, knowing that God could handle the battle instead of his doubts. That's what Joshua did when he marched around Jericho and God said, you won't have to, you won't have to knock those walls down. I'm going to do it. You just march around it with the people and you blow your trumpets and, and you holler when I say holler. I wonder if Joshua thought, well, how's that going to work? You think maybe he had a little doubt or two? He was not perfect, just like you. But he acted on faith and not his doubts. Always act on faith not your doubts. That's what Daniel did when he was thrown into the lion's den. And he's in there, in that pit with all these big old lions. I'm sure Daniel just walked in there and thought, nothing's going to happen to me. I can whoop those little kitties. You think? I wonder if Daniel might, if his heart might have pounded just a little bit. And I wonder if he thought, boy, I hope the Lord's watching. (laughs) I wonder if he had a little, he acted on his faith and not on his doubts. And you can do the same thing. That's what Nehemiah did when he built the wall. He looked at all that rubble and all the people said, we can't do anything about this. This is a mess. Nehemiah said, well, I believe God's called me to do it and we're just going to try to get it done, boys. And they got her done. He was a get-her-done kind of guy, not because he was such a whiz and not such a construction expert, not because he was such a strong believer. He got it done because he trusted God and he acted on his faith instead of on his doubts. And you can do the same thing. Those heroes of the faith have their doubts. I suspect they did. They said, well, I'm scared as all get out, but I'm going to go ahead and just do what God said. God instructs you to do some things. And instead of doubting and letting doubt get the best of you, just say, I'm going to act on faith. Yeah, I got some doubts. Lord, help my unbelief. Get me through this. Doubt your doubts not your faith. All of us walk into the valley once in a while. Some of us spend a great deal of time there. But when you find yourself in the valley where everything seems to be uncertain and you're tempted to give in to your doubts and your fears and your worries, all of your concerns, you know what you can do when you're in that valley? I'm not saying it's not a dark valley. I'm just saying, keep on walking. When you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, just keep on walking. You can tremble if you want to, and you can have a doubt or two if you want to, but you go ahead and just keep on walking. Because walking is what dispels the doubts eventually. Take the next step. Don't back off. Don't say, well, I've tried that and it didn't work, so I'm just going to give up. Just keep on walking. Every step is a way to doubt your doubts. Well, devil, you may make my heart tremble a little, but I'm just going to keep on walking because he wants me to. Understand that there's some things you will never understand this side of heaven. Isn't that kind of what we addressed in Ecclesiastes this morning? There's some things you just won't understand until you get to heaven. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belongeth unto the Lord our God. The secret things belongeth unto the Lord 
our God. But those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of his law. So when you read something in here that God wants you to do, don't give in to the doubts. Right? You can say, I don't understand why, but God, you said it, so I'm going to go ahead and do it. I'm just going to do it. Doubts and all. And then keep going back to what you know to be true. Paul said in Romans chapter 8, well, let's, let's just turn there. I want you to see this. You've read it before. But we need to be reminded. Verse 34, Romans 8, 34. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Now watch this, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or the sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded. Boy, I like it when he uses that word. I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul is saying, look, I may have some doubts, and I may hurt at some times, and I may walk through some troubled waters and some fire once in a while, and people may persecute me, but I'm persuaded that nothing's going to remove me and separate me from the love of God. Nothing. He said, I'm persuaded. That's what we need, dear beloved. We need persuasion that God is able to do that which he says he'll perform. Doubt is not sinful, but it can be dangerous. The longer we linger there, the more we invite the devil to come in and take control. You ever heard the term going all in? It's kind of... Before I got saved, I used to play poker. <clears throat> Forgive me. <laughs> God did. <laughs> used to play poker. And when, when a guy's got a really rip-snorting hand, he knows he's got this in the bag. I mean, he's got, it, he's got the, the winning hand. Nobody can top this. Everybody's got their chips around. And this guy says <laughs> to himself, I've got it, buddy. And he takes all of his chips and he says, I'm going all in. And he, put, he pushes everything to the center of the table. In other words, I'm giving all I've got. It's either win or lose. Everything's committed at that point. You know what we need to do when it comes to our doubt and trusting God? We need to say, I'm all in. <laughs> I did that one time. I was in Bible college preparing to be a preacher. And we'd have these evangelists come in. We had chapel every day, hour-long chapel. And some of those guys were good preachers, and some of them were some, like some of those others I, that I was talking about earlier. They'd tell you, well, if you don't do this and you don't do the other thing, you don't get up at 4 o'clock in the morning and pray for four hours and then read your Bible for another four, you're probably not saved, <laughs> and all of that. And I'd hear some of these preachers uh, give all of these details of why you're probably not saved. And I got to wonder, am, am I really saved? Man, I don't do all that. I must not have got saved. 
What did I say in my prayer when I, when I knelt and asked the Lord to save me? What did I say anyway? I can't even remember. Am I really saved? And this began to bug me, and I thought, here I am in Bible college. I'm, <clears throat> I'm preparing to be a preacher and tell other people how to get saved. Do I not even know? And it bugged me for a while. And it was beginning to wear on me. And I was going to have to get all in. I, I mean, if I'm going to be here preparing to be a preacher, I can't, I can't walk out of here graduating and go out and tell other people how to do what I can't even do. One morning after hearing one of those sermons, I, I was doubting. And I found me an empty classroom upstairs. And I didn't just go in the empty classroom. I found a closet off of the classroom. And I got in there in the dark. And I got with God. And I poured my heart out to Him. I said, Lord, as best I know, the day I said I was putting my trust in You, I meant it. But I hear all these things causing me to doubt. Lord, I've got to get it settled. I can't go out of here without knowing for sure. Give me the assurance. I said, now Lord, I, I know that Jesus died on the cross. I know I'm a sinner. I know that. And I, I know that anybody who asks him and places their trust in him, he'll save them. I know that. But I have all these nagging doubts. I said, Lord, I'm going all in. Right here and now. When I walk out of here, it's all up to you. I believe Jesus died for me to save me from hell. And Lord, I'm putting it all on you. I'm getting up off of my knees. I'm walking out of here. If I go to hell, it's your fault. You say, you talk to God that way? You better believe it. I don't think God gets mad when you're honest. I said, Lord, it's all on you. I believe Jesus as my Savior. Now I'm going out these doors. It's all up to you from here on. I went out a lot stronger, a lot lighter, and a lot closer to the Lord than I went in. Now, I believe the day, April 13th, 1980, when I, when I went forward in response to a sermon I heard, I believe God saved me that day. But I had to get the doubts settled. I didn't want to go around doubting my own salvation when I, and not be able to help somebody else. I said, I'm all in. And when you get saved... You need to be all in. If you're doubting that you really got saved, you need to be all in. Get it settled. Lewis Berry Schaefer said, the great theologian, he said that believing in Jesus means trusting Him so much that if He can't take you to heaven, you're not going there. I kind of like that. If He's not going to take me, I ain't going. I can't get me there. My feelings can't get me there. The church can't get me there. My best Christian friend can't get me there. Only he can get me there. And I said, Lord, I'm all in. I'll tell you this one last story and we'll be done. In 1822, a young woman by the name of Charlotte Elliott was visiting some friends in the West End of London. <clears throat> and there was a, a noted minister there that day. And as they were... Sitting around talking, he uh, at supper, the minister asked her, he said, uh, ask her if, uh, if she was a Christian. And she said, I'd rather not talk about it. And he said, well, I, I didn't mean to offend you. I just wanted you to know that if you're, if you're not a Christian, that Jesus can save you and take you to heaven when you die. And after that experience, it was some time later, that he met up with her again. And 
she had took his advice to heart and she asked Jesus to save her because of the question he asked her. And when she came to the Lord, she wrote out a poem. She was a poet. And when she got saved, she wrote this poem. Just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come, just as I am. I can't do anything to prepare myself for heaven. All I can do is come to him, and he is the one who has to take me. And friend, if you're doubting your salvation, just go all in. Say, Lord, I know you died for me. If you've never been saved, you can do the same thing. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. The Bible says I am. But Lord, to whom shall I go? If it's not you, who? Nobody. And Lord, I'm putting it all on you. If you can't get me to heaven, nobody else can. My faith is in you. Nothing else. Not religion. Not some church. Not some preacher. Not parents. Nobody. Lord, it's got to be you. I'm placing my faith in you. This day forward, I'm trusting you. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and thank you for making salvation available to every single human being that wants to be saved. Lord, I pray that you'd work in our hearts tonight. And those who doubt, Lord, I pray that you'd give them a, an answer from heaven tonight that they, that they really want and desperately need. Lord, I pray that they'd just say, Lord, I'm yours. I'm just a sinner, but I'm yours. I trust you from this day forward with my soul because you're the one that died for me.